You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. It was a new beginning for Michael Jordan. In 1989, the Chicago Bulls hired Phil Jackson to be their head basketball coach, and Michael Jordan was not very happy about it. Previously, Doug Collins had been their coach, and he had done very well. Jordan had thrived under his leadership. Uh, Collins really game-planned everything through Michael Jordan. The ball was always in his hands, and Jordan had done very well. He was MVP of the league. He had been MVP of the All-Star Game. He was Defensive Player of the Year. He won the Slam Dunk Contest. Things were going very well. And in comes Phil Jackson, and uh, Jordan even said publicly that he was not a fan of Phil Jackson when he was promoted from assistant to head coach. And the reason was because uh, Doug Collins said, I'm going to get the ball in your hands, and Jackson said, I'm going to take the ball out of your hands. You see, Phil Jackson had a different philosophy in terms of offense, and so uh, Jordan was concerned about that. And And Jackson even told Jordan, Uh, it's not very likely that you're going to be scoring champion in the league because the focus is on the ball. And if everybody knows you're going to get the ball, teams can generate a defense to stop that. And so it was a new beginning for Michael Jordan and one that he didn't feel very good about. You see, new beginnings can be challenging, but they can also be great opportunities to do something significant. I wonder if anybody listening tonight would say, I would like a new beginning. Maybe some of you would say, I'd love a new beginning as a parent. As a mom or a dad, we have those moments, we mess up, and you say, man, I would love to have a new beginning. I'd love to have that back. Or maybe in your career, you'd say, man, I'd love to have a new beginning. If I could just get that next Promotion, if I could get that next opportunity, man, I'd love to have a new beginning. Even as a student, you think, man, I I know I can do better. I know if I could just get another opportunity, I I know it would be different. And maybe in your health, you think, man, I'd love a new beginning in my health. I'd like to feel better. I'd like to have more energy. And maybe even in your marriage, you'd like to have a new beginning in your marriage. You remember back to what it was like when you were first married and and you spoke tenderly to each other, respectfully, uh, but for some reason that, that's not the case now. And you think, man, we need a new beginning in our home. We're going to begin a new series tonight on Elisha. And it's about a new beginning. You see, this was a new beginning for Elisha. It was a new day in his life. He had been assistant to Elijah for a number of years. And now, as you remember last week, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind And it was Elisha's turn to serve the Lord. Israel was still in idolatry. They still needed spiritual leadership. And Elisha was the man of God for the moment. It was a new beginning. And so tonight I want to share with you eight principles on how you and I can experience a new beginning. Eight is the number of new beginnings, so it just seemed uh, fitting that we would have eight points tonight. And uh, you and I can experience a new beginning as well. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to backtrack to 1 Kings 19, and we're going to look at the story from Elisha's perspective now, and then we'll eventually get to 2 Kings chapter 2. So in 1 Kings 19, our first four principles are really about the call of Elisha. You see there, in, um, beginning in verse 19, Elijah departs from Mount Sinai, and he goes up 
to anoint Elisha to be his successor. God has told him to do this. So he finds uh, Elisha. Now you have to go up into verse 16. Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehalah. Abel-Mehalah was in the Jordan River Valley about 23 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. It was west of the Jordan River, so that was very fertile land, good farming opportunities there. And so Elijah goes there to be obedient. Now, Elisha is the son of Shaphat. It says he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And, and I would imagine this day for Elisha began as any other day. He got up. He's out there working the fields for his dad. And I'm sure he had no idea what was coming. And a new beginning for you, for me, just could be seconds away. And one source said this, the call may be sudden, but that does not mean that it was unplanned. God knew exactly what was happening. Elijah knew what was happening. The only person that didn't know was Elisha. He was out there working. Now, he, we're told he had 12 yoke of oxen there. He was with the last. Now, a single yoke would have been common during that time. So the, the fact that there were 12 yoke gives us the impression that Elisha was from a wealthy family. Now, we're not told that they were all his, but it's possible they were, and that there's a good bit of land there. You had to have a lot of land to have 12 yoke of oxen. So it's possible they came from a wealthy family. Elijah passes by, and he, he throws his cloak upon him. Now, notice Elijah didn't say anything, and he just walked by, and he, he, he put his cloak upon him, and that, that symbolized that it was a call to the prophetic office. It was a symbol of the, the power is transferring from Elijah to Elisha. Elisha knows what this means, and I'll, I'll show you that in just a minute. But Elijah was giving a call to Elisha to become his successor. And so here's our first point tonight. If we want to experience a new beginning, we must actively engage in the, work, in the current work God has called us to. We must actively engage in the current work God has called us to. Elijah was busy working. He's working on his dad's farm. He's not in deep thought. He's not uh, during the middle of the day when he should be working. He's not lethargic. He's not, you know, dreaming somewhere. He's busy doing what he was supposed to do. And if you and I, if we want God to bless our tomorrow, we need to honor God in our work today. And that's what Elisha was doing. And so if you want a new beginning in your career, then you need to honor God where you are today. Uh, you remember the parable of the talents? The, the, one of the servants said, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I've made two more. And his master said, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And I wonder tonight, are you being faithful over a little? Are you being faithful where God has put you and with what he's given you? That's where Elisha was. He was a simple, he was a farmer, simple job, but he's being faithful. And Elijah comes by. So our second principle is found in verse 20. Elisha says he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And, and, and you look at Elijah's response, and you think, well, what does that mean? And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And that may sound strange to us, but Elijah is saying, hey, do as you please. This is God's call. This is not my call. I'm not calling you. God is calling you. It's up to you. The ball is in your court. 
It's up to you to how you will respond. This is not, this not between me and you. This is between you and God. And that's how it is with the call of God. God is not going to force Elisha to get into to prophetic ministry, just like God's not going to force you to be saved. It is up to you. You have to respond in obedience to what God is calling you to do. And so Elisha willingly responded to Elijah's call. So here's our second point. We must willingly respond to God's call. It's a simple concept. We must willingly respond to God's call. Have you ever felt led to share the gospel with someone and you didn't do it? I've been out in public before. Uh, one of these times was just a few weeks ago. And I, I have felt, I have sensed a voice and I could hear it just saying, share the gospel with him. It's happened at a gas station. It's happened. I'm out in public sometimes. And, and there's been times where I've missed it. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever just missed it? You, you felt like God told you to do something? It had to be the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be Satan telling me to do that. And, and for, there's been times where I've, I've missed it. And there's been times where I've obeyed God too, but there's times where I've missed it. But uh, Elisha is not a superhero. He's a farmer, but he's someone who willingly obeys God. And you look here, and he quickly obeys God. He ran after Elijah. He didn't want to miss his opportunity. Man, this was the moment. I mean, it's not every day that Elijah comes by your farm. And apparently he recognized Elijah. And, and so this was his moment to, to, to do something different. Even though he was on the comfort and security and the familiarity of the farm. But this was his chance. And so he's ready. Our third principle is found in verse 21. It says, And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Now these oxen were valuable. I mean, they didn't have tractors, so they used oxen to plow the land. Uh, they, they, they had to have them to get the work done. He even took the yokes, uh, the yoke of oxen, and they become firewood. And so he's burning his, his, uh, that which earns him a living. He is burning it and saying, my past is gone. I'm making a clean break from my current way of living, and there's no turning back. I am going to follow God's call in my life, and I'm not looking back. You see, Elisha's not going to have time on the weekends to come back and work his dad's farm. He's not going to be able to do both. It's going to require a singular focus, and that's how it is in the Christian life. It's, 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 it's all in if we're going to follow Jesus. It's all, I'm going to have a foot in the world. I'm going to have a foot in the Christian life, and I'm just going to go back and forth. No, it's, it's all in. That's the, that's the cost of following Christ. It's not both and. It's, it's all in for Jesus. And Elisha knows that. He's willing to walk away from a stable career. He's, he realizes his farming days are over. One uh, source wrote this. Uh, Shaphat's farm offers a level of earthly comfort that Elisha, Elijah's mantle cannot touch. Uh, but what can Elijah offer him? He doesn't have a retirement plan. He can't offer him insurance. He, uh, Elijah, where are we going to spend the night? I, I don't know. We're just following God. Uh, I mean, one of the scenes we saw in Elijah said he was sitting on a hill. He was uh, just sitting on a hill at Mount Carmel. There, were, there was no safety, security. Uh, one source wrote this, Elijah... Elisha not only kisses his family goodbye, but also kisses the world goodbye. Oh, it's so interesting. Here's the third way that you and I can experience a new beginning. 
We must be willing to make personal sacrifices. There's a sacrifice. New beginning means new sacrifice. There's got to be some sacrifice made. If you want things to change, if I want things to change, we've got to be willing to do some things differently. And that's what we see in Elisha. In the book, Seven Promises of a Promise Keeper, there's a chapter, chapter two in that book is on mentoring. And uh, years ago, Dr. Howard Hendricks wrote that chapter. And, and Dr. Hendricks said, often someone would come to him, a guy would come and said, you know, Hendricks, I'd give my right arm to have a marriage like yours. And Dr. Hendricks would say, that's precisely what it may cost you. In other words, there's a sacrifice involved. If you want to have a great marriage like that, you're going to have to put the time in. It's not just, not just going to happen. There's going to have to be a cost. And Dr. Hendricks would ask a group of men, if you had an option, I mean, just one choice, either a great job or a great marriage, which would it be? You can't have both. If you could have a great job or a great marriage, which would it be? And he says, the answer to that question reveals your priority. You see, there has to be a sacrifice. If, if, if there's going to be a new beginning in your home, there's going to be a new beginning in your career, there's going to, be, there's going to have to be a sacrifice. Um, if, if you want to have a great marriage, you may not need to take that job where you're traveling all the time. If you, if you want to be a great parent, you may not need to serve on that, that board that's requiring all this extra time. And you, those are things you've got to think about. If, 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 if I want a new beginning, I really want things to be different. Am I willing to make the sacrifices to make it happen? Elisha was willing to step away. You remember the verse in Luke 9, 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's one more principle found in 1 Kings 19. Elisha arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. The term for assisted means to minister to serve. It's used of Joshua. Remember, Joshua was the chief assistant to Moses in Exodus 24, 13 and Exodus 33, 11. Elijah ministered to, Elisha ministered to Elijah. He served him. He assisted him. Now, in order to get the answer of what did it look like for Elisha to serve Elijah? What, 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 did, what, did, what kind of things did he do? What did it look like on a daily basis? You have to go to 2 Kings chapter 3 to get the answer. In that chapter, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was looking for a prophet of the Lord. Now, one of the servants of the kings of Israel, uh, of the king of Israel, said this in verse 11. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Isn't that interesting? He washed the hands of Elijah. Before he would eat, Elijah's there pouring water over his hands. No, nothing glamorous. It was a menial task. He left the farm to just travel around with Elijah to wash his hands, and I'm sure many other things. But that's the one thing that we're told. That's what he was known for. Can you imagine that on your resume? Tell us about your experience. Well, I washed the hands of Elijah. That was, that was his experience. It's amazing. So, if you and I want to experience a new beginning, here's the fourth thing we must be willing to do. Be willing to do menial tasks. Be willing to do menial tasks. A friend of mine told me a story a while back. I thought it was so interesting. This, this particular friend worked in the athletic department at Ole Miss for a little while. While he was there, there was a, another guy who was a graduate assistant who worked with the football team. He left Ole Miss and 
worked at a couple different schools. One of the schools was University of Tennessee Martin. Um, or, I'm sorry, yeah, Univer- yeah, University of Tennessee Martin. And while he was at U- UT Martin, there was a player there on their team that was pretty good. Um, and this coach is there working with the team. Well, this particular player was gaining some interest from the NFL. And so one, one person who came by to check out this player was Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots. Coach Belichick shows up there on campus, and he's there to check out that player, to, to evaluate this player. And what's interesting is what caught his attention was not the player, but this coach who my friend knew. This coach was, it's, it was setting up drills. He was putting dummies down. He was, he was doing all kind of menial tasks. Instead of, you know, delegating that to somebody else or telling someone else to do it, he was doing it. And eventually, Coach Belichick offered him a job. Isn't that interesting? And so now that particular particular guy is a position coach with the New England Patriots in the NFL. You see, Belichick's not looking for a fancy resume. He's not looking for a big school. He was looking for, are you willing to do menial tasks? Do you have a humble heart and are you willing to serve? And now the guy's in the NFL. Just incredible. See, Elisha's willing to to do that. And that's what a new beginning is going to require, new action, new sacrifice, new task that you and I are willing to do. Now, if you'll make your way to 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll find the next four principles on what it takes to experience a new beginning. You remember Elijah went up to heaven. And so you go there in verse 12. And so Elisha is responding. He saw the whirlwind. He saw Elijah Elijah going up. My father, my father, just indicating the type of relationship he had with Elijah. He had been a mentor to him. And and so now he, he tears his clothes. He's saddened. He's burdened by what's just happened. He tore them in two pieces. And verse 13 says he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. Notice that Elijah didn't hand it to him. Elisha went and picked it up. He's, he's, he's intentional now, and it, it's, it's his turn. Elisha's name means God saves. And for the next about 50 years, Elisha is going to be the man of God for Israel. He's going to be the prophet of God who is going to represent God. He's going to speak for Yahweh. It, Israel's still in idolatry. Okay, just like they were under Elijah. So there needed to be a man of God who would step in and speak for God. And Elisha is that man now. And I I read one source that said Elisha served, he was with Elijah for 18 years. Isn't that amazing? 18 years of doing menial tasks. And now was his chance. Now was his chance to step up and lead. So uh, uh, Elisha picks up the mantle, he goes back and he retraces his steps now. And he goes back to the Jordan River, and he takes the the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water. He says, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, are are you going to be my God too? I know you were with Elijah, but, you know, Yahweh, are you going to be real in my life too? And then it says, "When when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Amazing. See, Elijah learned that his real need was for God, not not Elijah. Elijah had been a blessing to him, but he really needed God. And, And that's what he's learning here. Here's our fifth principle. 
God will assist us in our new beginning. God will assist us in our new beginning. Elijah needed to take the first step by picking up the cloak and to strike the water. And then at that point, God took over. You remember years earlier when Israel was there at the Jordan River, uh, the priests had to put their foot in the water first. When they put their feet in the water in Joshua 3.15, that's when the water stopped upstream. And then they were able to cross on dry ground, but they had to touch the water first. They had to take the first step, and then that's when God intervened. And my friend, if you want a new beginning, you've got to take the first step. When we take the first step, God will meet us there. And he will take over and he will do what, what the impossible. He will part the Jordan. He will make it dry ground, but we've got to take the first step. So some of you are, man, you're wanting to do some great things for God in your neighborhood and have gospel conversations, and, and I hope you will. The first step may be memorizing some scripture so that when those opportunities come, you're ready and God will pre present the opportunities and you have something to say. So there, there, there's got to be a first step that you and I take, and then we watch how God will meet us there. And he intervenes. Our next principle is found in verses 19 through 22. Uh, Elisha now is, is continuing to backtrack, and he goes to the city of Jericho. And when he goes to Jericho, uh, the men of the city say, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, um, which maybe on the surface it looked pleasant, but it, it really was not. It says, they went on, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Now, remember, Jericho was a city under the curse. Remember, the walls fell in Joshua chapter 6, and Joshua said, cursed before the Lord, before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city. Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn, shall he lay its foundation? And at the cost of his youngest son, shall he set up its gates? And so in 1 Kings 16, 34, there's a man named Hill of Bethel. He built Jericho. He lost his oldest and his youngest sons because he rebuilt the foundation and he rebuilt the gate. So he paid a price for that. But this is a city under the curse. And, and, and we think that the water was, in, was a part of that curse. So because the water's bad, the land's unproductive. It's not producing crops uh, for this city. So this is a problem. So Elisha is not there to judge the city. He's there to bring healing to the city. So he says, bring me a new bowl. And really the new bowl represents Elisha. Elisha is the new man. He's, a, he's, he's God's man for the moment. This is a new beginning for him. So the new bowl really represents him. He says, put salt in it. Um, and you may wonder why in the world would he put salt in it? Well, salt was purifying. And so, and, uh, the, but the salt didn't cause the water to come, become fresh. God did, but the salt was a symbol. So they brought it to him, and he went to the spring of water. Notice Elisha went to the source. He went straight to the source, the core of the problem here. And he threw the salt in it, and it was healed. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. Elisha didn't try to treat the symptoms of Jericho. He went right to the source. See, the city of Jericho represented the spiritual condition of Israel and of many people today. Uh, on, the, on the surface, everything looks good. It said, you know, the city is pleasant. 
And on the surface, there's people that live around you, that work around you. On the surface, everything looks good. There's smile. Oh, good. How are you? Everything looks good. But underneath, there are problems. Underneath, there's problems in the home. There's, uh, there's a rebellion against God. There's, there's problems. And, and the, the solution is the gospel. That's what the salt is. The solution is the gospel. And, and the only way to change things is to go right to the heart, to go to the core of the issue and to share Jesus Christ with someone. And that's, that was the only hope for Israel is that they would turn to God and experience the healing power that only he can give. That was, that was the solution. John 3.18 says that whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. See, this, this was a cursed city. Jericho was. And anyone who today has not received Christ, they're condemned already. And, and, and the core problem is their, their heart that needs to be changed. Just like Ezekiel says, they need a, to remove the heart of stone and be given a heart of flesh. And so that's why we share the gospel, because we want to get to the, the root of the issue. And then, as you see, this whole city was changed, and and, and everyone experienced the benefit of it. And that's what happens when God changes a life. Man, it's a blessing. It changes a home. It can change a, a whole generation. Our sixth problem, or our, sorry, our sixth principle and experience a new beginning is this. We must take time to minister God's healing power to hurting people. We must take time to minister God's healing power to hurting people. The people of Jericho were hurting. Uh, Elisha could have easily kept going beyond. He didn't have to stop at Jericho, but he took time to minister the healing power of God to hurting people. And my friend, there's hurting people all over the world right now. And as you are on social media, as you are in your neighborhood, uh, boy, it's so easy to, when someone shares something, just, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Keep going. Uh, take time to minister the healing power of the gospel to hurting people. Uh, take time to say, you know what, let, let's stop right now. Let, let, let me pray, let me, let's pray about that. Let's take that to the Lord. Let's lay that at his feet. Let's ask him to intervene. Let's ask him to, to give you the peace that only he can give. I can't give it to you. The world can't give it to you, but only Jesus can. Let, let's take a minute and let me try to minister to you. And that, that's our role as Christians. That's our job as a church to try to minister to a world right now that's hurting. And we, we can act like we're busy and just keep going, but we can miss an opportunity like Elisha had at Jericho to minister the healing power of the gospel. Our next principle, got two more for you, found in verses 23 and 24. Elisha goes to Bethel, and he performs another miracle, but this miracle is entirely different. Uh, you remember, we said last week, Bethel was a place of prayer originally, Genesis chapter 12, Abram built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, but it eventually became a place of idolatry. First Kings 12, uh, Jeroboam had two golden calves made. One of them was placed at Bethel. And so here comes uh, Elisha, went up from there to Bethel. While he's going, some small boys, now we think these were probably teenagers because the term for boys could be anywhere from infant to a young, young, a young armed man. So uh, we think this best we can tell, probably teenagers, young teenagers came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now you think, what in the world did that mean? Well, um, they were, they were mocking Elijah. 
uh, Elisha rather. They were, they were telling him, hey, why don't you go up like Elijah did? Why don't you just go on up to heaven like he did? Uh, you know, if you can, they're, they're, they don't believe in God. They're mocking God. Bethel's the place of idolatry. Uh, they don't have any interest in worshiping Yahweh. Here comes a prophet of God. So they're ridiculing him. They're making fun of him. There's disbelief. They're saying, why don't you just go away like Elijah did? It was an insult, and it's, it, it was spoken in public. So really, it's that they're insulting God because Elisha's there as a prophet of God. Now, Baldhead, well, that was a personal insult. They're making fun of his lack of hair. And so you see the distinction between Elijah who wore a garment of hair around his waist, and now you see Elisha uh, did not have any hair. So they're making fun of him. And the boys are saying, you're not a real prophet. You're nothing like Elijah. And so in response, Elisha looked at them, cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then these two female bears come out, which they were common in Israel at that time, and they attacked the boys. Now, we're not told that they killed the boys, but they attacked them. And at first, at first glance, this appears like some type of personal vengeance and you think, wait a minute, are we supposed to bless those who, who persecute us? And wait, wait a minute, what, what is happening here? Um, the term for curse is not talking about foul language. It's talking about, in Hebrew, it means a punishment or a consequence. This was God's judgment upon these boys. This was not Elijah's personal vengeance, and he, he had foul language. No, this was, this was divine judgment upon these boys. These boys represented a nation that had rebelled against God. Their attitude toward Elisha represented their attitude toward God. They mocked him. They didn't have time for him. He's not relevant to them. And so Elisha is just calling down God's judgment on them. And so Elisha's pronouncement of judgment in the city sent a message to Israel that God will not tolerate idolatry. We don't often talk uh, probably enough about the judgment of God. Yes, God is love, absolutely, but he's also holy. And because he's holy, he has to judge sin. Now, he did that through his son, Jesus. All of sin was taken care of and paid for, but you and I are responsible because we are born as sinners. And so our sin is paid for, but we have to receive that free gift of eternal life. And when we don't, we are under the judgment of God because it's, we are telling him, no, I will pay for it when he, in fact, has already paid for it through his precious son, Jesus. And so the message was to Israel, Israel, you better take notice and turn back to God or there will be judgment. Isn't that interesting? Jericho and Bethel, two totally different miracles, two totally different responses to God. Bethel could have had God's healing power as well, but they chose to mock God. And that, that's what happens when you turn away from God. These two miracles at Jericho and Bethel really represent Elisha's ministry as a whole. Uh, the message of his ministry was clear. Those who seek God and turn to him will experience forgiveness, healing, and blessing. Those who mock God and rebel against him will receive his judgment. And that was really the ministry of Elisha from here on out. And we're going to see, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, how he ministers to a widow, how he raises a child from the dead like Elijah did. God did it through him. And we're going to see an incredible ministry um, that Elisha will have. But here's our seventh principle on how you and I can experience a new beginning. 
we should expect opposition in our new beginning. We, we should just expect it. This is Elisha's first day on the job, and he's already experiencing opposition. And if your new beginning is something with your marriage, or, man, I'm going I'm I'm to start loving my wife like I should, I'm going to change... There could be opposition. She may not be on board at first, or he may not be, uh, heart may not be ready for that. There could be opposition. Or if you in your parenting, you say it's going to be a new beginning. There probably will be opposition. Uh, but stick with it. Elijah faced opposition too, but he, he's there to represent God, and he, he sticks with it. His job is to remain faithful to God, and that's our job as well. Our final principles found in verse 25. From there, he, that is Elisha, went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Bethel to Mount Carmel was nearly 75 miles, and for the trip from Carmel to Samaria, Samaria was about 40 miles. Now, we know Elijah spent time in Mount Carmel, so you might have, you, we might think, well, that's where Elisha's going to go. But he didn't stay there. He went on to Samaria. Now, Elijah had probably been to Samaria in uh, 1 Kings 17, remember he appeared before Elijah. He said, there's not going to be any more rain. Uh, but El Elijah spent more time away from Samaria. He was in Zarephath and Cherith. He was in the wilderness. He was at Mount Carmel. But Elisha's ministry is going to be different. As we're going to see here, Elijah, Elisha is going to be in Samaria. He's going to spend time with kings, uh, as we're going to see coming up. He's, he just has a different ministry. He's going to spend more time in cities. Uh, one source wrote this, he would complete the ministry of Elijah, but not as an imitator of his great mentor. He was God's unique man, not a shadow of Elijah. Isn't that interesting? You see, he, was, he had a different ministry than Elijah. He was influenced by him, but he was unique. He had his own path. So here's our last point. We must recognize that our life path is unique. Uh, your path will be different than my path. Your new beginning may not look like your friend's new beginning or your spouse's new beginning. Uh, but we must remain faithful in the path that God has called us on. And that's what Elisha did. Uh, I love the story about Pastor Jim Cimbala tells. He's, he's written in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And he, he tells in that story, you, you probably read it, where in the early 1970s, the Brooklyn Tabernacle was really struggling. Uh, didn't have many people. The, uh, I think someone was stealing money from the offering, and it was just a really bad situation. And uh, Pastor Symbol was often discouraged, but he was pouring his heart into this place and just really wanting God to move. And, and there was one service where he was preaching, and he was so burdened by just the atmosphere, everything that was happening there, he just stopped preaching and just began to weep just began to sob right there on the pulpit, just so broken, overwhelmed with what has happened, didn't know what to do, hadn't, hadn't been trained for ministry. His wife was so gifted, is so gifted in music, just began to play, I need thee every hour. And there, there became a brokenness over the church, and people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And there, then a, a spiritual breakthrough started to happen in that church. And for decades now, that church has been such a light for the gospel. And, and Pastor Simbola wrote this in his book. He said, those experiences, talking about his early days in ministry, those experiences showed me that I didn't need to play the preacher. Jesus called fishermen, not graduates of rabbinical schools, 
The main requirement was to be natural and sincere. In the same way, I had to stop trying to act ministerial, whatever that was. God could only use Jim Simbola the way he is. What a breakthrough that was for me as I learned to trust in God to use my natural personality. And I bet that that day right there at the Jordan River, that was a breakthrough for Elisha. I mean, he had seen Elijah do miracles, but now he was standing in his shoes. And he learned that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the same God that worked in Elijah would work in his life as well. And so he began to walk in his own path, and God used him. Maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. Maybe you're trying to be somebody else, trying to use someone else's gift, and you just need to realize God has gifted you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And you can celebrate that and use those gifts to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, over time, Michael Jordan began to trust Phil Jackson and began to develop in his uh, appreciation of his offensive philosophy. And there was a turning point, really, in 1991. The Chicago Bulls made the NBA Finals. They were playing Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. It was game five, and the, the Bulls were up three to one, and it was a tight game. And there was a timeout in the game, and Phil Jackson said, I said, okay, who, who's open? Ask Michael who's open. And Michael said, John Paxson's open. He said, okay, I want you to get the ball to John Paxson. So Jordan began feeding the ball to John Paxson, and Paxson was making shot after shot after shot. John Paxson had 20 points in the game. See, they were double teaming Jordan. That means somebody's open. And, and, and Jordan was learning that he had to make sacrifices. You see, if he's going to have a new beginning... He can't take all the shots. And so he began passing the ball. He began sacrificing what he wanted in order to help the team. And the Bulls won that night, and they won their first NBA title. They went on to win five more. You see, Jordan learned that new beginnings require a new sacrifice. Elisha learned that too. Elisha learned that a new beginning with Elijah required sacrifice. He had to sacrifice being around his family, having a stable career in order to follow Elijah. And my friend, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him now as your Lord and Savior. He paid the price for your sin and for my sin. Receive him now. If you've already done that, I encourage you. You can have a new beginning tonight as well. Maybe you've been living for yourself, but you want to say, you know, tonight... I'm ready to make the sacrifice. I'm ready to sacrifice my dreams, my personal comfort, my agenda, and I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. I'm ready to follow his plan for my life. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for Elisha and that he was a simple farmer, but he was a man who willingly obeyed you. Father, I pray that we would do the same. Just as I read the other day about King Josiah, who had a tender heart. Lord, I pray that we would have tender hearts so that when you speak to us, we would quickly and willingly obey you and we would follow you wherever you tell us to go. I pray that someone listening tonight would have a new beginning. They would have a new beginning and experience eternal life through Jesus Christ. And for those who are already saved, I pray that have a new beginning in their marriage, in their home, their parenting, 
because they're going to follow you and you're going to help them. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, dear friends, for joining us tonight. Look forward to seeing you next week, Lord willing. Sunday, pastor continues in the book of Job. Don't want to miss it. God bless you. I hope you have a great rest of the week.